Good morning. My name is Lachlan, one of the pastors here at Auckland Evangelical Church, and I'm so excited to be together with you, sitting under God's Word as we continue on in Isaiah this morning. Uh, let me pray that God would work in us by His Word today. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning as the one who has created us, the one who is the sovereign ruler over the earth, the one who is our Saviour and Redeemer. We thank you that you have spoken. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training us in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we pray that this morning you would equip us, that we might live as your people in this world in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Life these days is full of decisions for us here in Auckland with the wealth that we have, with the freedom that we have, that the world is kind of open before us. It's been a long time since we lived in a place where you just kind of have to follow on in the profession of your parents, taking on the family business after them. Now, you've got a choice to make about what kind of work you're going to do. Long gone are the days where you grow up in a town and you kind of live out your life in the same village where you were born. That's long gone. Now, many of us don't, uh, don't stay in the same city for very long. All of those things are decisions for us. Where will I live? What will I do for work? When, if ever, am I going to settle down? As we make all of those decisions, we are guided by a view of the world and a view of our place within the world. Sometimes we're not conscious of that worldview that's shaping our decisions, but our decisions are shaped by who you think you are and what you think life is about. Some of you this morning are making those big life decisions as you come in. You're applying for jobs, you're thinking about what city to live in. Others are past those life decisions and have kind of settled down somewhere. But whatever stage of life you're at, I want you to ponder this question this morning. When you get to the end of your life, what will you look back on and think, I've lived well? You got the question? When you get to the end of your life, what's it going to be in your life that you look back on and think, I've succeeded? Your answer to that question will shape the decisions that you make. And there are a number of answers that you might give. It might include relationships, family, friends, the depth of relationships that you've managed to fill your life with. It might include work and different accomplishments and achievements. That'll be what you look back on and think, yes, if I can do that, then I'll succeed in life. Uh, It might include experiences, filling your life with as much excitement as you can get. Uh, If you've got something in your mind yet for you, what is it for you that when you get to the end of your life, you'll look back on and think, I've lived well. In Isaiah this morning, we meet a new character, God's servant. And as we learn about God's servant, it's going to help us figure out what actually makes for a successful life. We're going to learn through Isaiah what it is to live well. So come with me back to Isaiah chapter 42. If you've got your Bible there, keep it open, flick there with me. It'll be up on the screen, but better to check along in the Bible in front of you, make sure I'm not making this up and I haven't changed the words on the screen. We're going to meet in Isaiah 42, the servant who saves the nations. There's some notes in the outline that you received as well, where you can take notes as we go through. Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I've put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. 
He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he'll not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instruction. So we introduce straight away to the task and the character of God's servant. The heading that I've given to this in the outline there, the servant who saves the nations. Can you see where I'm picking that up from in verse 1, verse 3, verse 4? What's the task for God's servant? It's repeated throughout that section, isn't it? The servant of God will bring justice to the nations. He's not going to stop until there's justice everywhere, to the edge of the land, to the coast, all the way out onto the islands, justice covering the earth. God's servant will usher in this time of peace. No more bloodshed, no more slavery, no more bribery and corruption. In verse 4, the coasts and the islands, these are the far reaches of the earth. They're waiting for his instruction, waiting for the servant of God to come and teach them how they ought to live. So God's servant is is a wise teacher, he's a righteous leader. His commissioning goes on in verse 6 of Isaiah 42. I'm the Lord, I've called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I'll watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations, in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. This servant saves the nations. He, He is a light to the nations. Now, darkness is sometimes good, right? Darkness is good when you want to play a game of sardines. I love a good game of sardines. The darker it is, the better it is. Darkness is good when you're trying to sleep. Even then, some of us get a bit scared of the dark and we have our little night light to keep us company and comfort. Darkness is good sometimes, but most of the time, for actually getting on with life, for getting around and getting stuff done, darkness is terrible. You're about to walk into something sharp. How many times have you stubbed your toe in the darkness? It's horrible. Are you about to walk off a cliff? If it's pitch black, you don't know. You're stumbling around, you can't see. Uh, you try cooking in pitch darkness. You try going to the toilet in the pitch black. It's going to get messy. Darkness is not good. And the reality is, when we try to live life without God, we're fumbling around in the dark. That's why there is injustice everywhere across the world. That's why we get hurt so much, why we cause so much hurt ourselves. We're in a dungeon of darkness, this imagery of Isaiah, because we've shut God out. Rather than leave us in that darkness, God sends His servant to be a light, to open our blind eyes that we might know God. The servant leads us out of this prison house that we've made for ourselves, this dark world where we never quite feel safe. This is the salvation, this is the rescue that God's servant brings. He brings a world full of justice and light to replace the world of darkness and injustice that we currently live in. And I want to live in the world that God's servant is bringing. He brings an offer of salvation for the whole world, for every nation, for every people group, from the most civilized city dwellers to the most rustic and rural jungle tribes. God's servant brings salvation for the nations. What about the servant's character? Back in verse 3, there's a beautiful image of the gentleness of God's servant. Have a look at it there, 42 verse 3. 
He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. This servant of God doesn't brush aside the bruised and the hurt. He won't disregard the small and the insignificant. He's not the kind of person that comes along a struggling, almost out of energy, taking life day by day person and thinks, oh, you're no use to me. See you later. No, this is a gentle servant who has a concern for the littlest and the least. So in Isaiah 42, as we meet God's servant, we meet the servant who saves the nations with gentle justice. And if you're here this morning and you're not Christian, then what I hope you're hearing from Isaiah here is that God wants to save you, whatever nation you're from. I'm sure you have questions about the way the world is, the way people treat each other, perhaps even the way people have treated you. To some degree, you can see that humanity is fumbling around in darkness. We're trying all these different social experiments, thinking they might make the world a better place. But it's not working, is it? God has a different plan for humanity doing life in community, a different ethic. He's got instruction, He's got teaching, and His teaching brings light. One day, God is bringing about a world that's full of justice, full of His light. If you want to be part of that world, you want to be part of the world that God's servant will bring, then come today. Turn to God as your God. God is saving the nations. So far we've been talking about God's servant just in the general sense. That's the way it's introduced in Isaiah, but it raises the question, who is God's servant? Who is the servant that God will use to save the nations with gentle justice? And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I know the answer to this one. It's Jesus, yeah? It's Jesus? Uh, You've heard the story about the kids' church leader, right, who asked the question, all right, kids, who am I? I'm a small, flightless bird. I like to come out at night. A bit of silence, and then one girl puts her hand up and says, sounds like a Kiwi, but I know the answer's Jesus. <laughs> the answer's always Jesus, and, and God's servant is Jesus, but not in a flat one-to-one correspondence kind of predictive prophecy. It's not just as if Isaiah is prophesying in advance 700 years in the future about Jesus and and these passages mean nothing until he turns up. We've got to watch out for that danger. This is about Jesus, but in a a rich and contoured way that we need to watch. There's a progression from chapter 40 through to the end of the book of Isaiah. There's a story about God's servant. So we're going to get to Jesus, but we first need to meet God's failed servant. That's the second point in your outline, the failed servant servant. If you're there in chapter 42, flick back now to Isaiah 41. Have a look at verse 8 and 9. Isaiah 41, who does God introduce as his servant in these verses? But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I've chosen you. I haven't rejected you. God's servant in the first place is Israel. See that there, verse 8? Israel as a nation, the descendants of Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham. This nation, Israel, was formed by God to be his servant, to bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. God brought Israel up out of slavery in Egypt. He made them into a nation. He gave them His law. As God's people living out God's law, Israel was meant to be this shining beacon of light in the world. The nations around were meant to look in and go, wow, what? why is a nation? 
What amazing laws that this nation has. What a wonderful way of living as humanity. The nations would come in and see Israel and be attracted to worship Yahweh as God. Recognize that Yahweh is the only God. That was the plan. That was the commission that God gave to His nation, Israel. But as a nation, as God's servant, Israel failed. Remember what we've heard about Israel in the early parts of Isaiah? Instead of justice, this is a nation full of bloodshed. The leaders of Israel are greedy, they're corrupt, people are being oppressed, the fatherless, the widow aren't getting looked after. Instead of following God's law, they've forgotten it. They've forgotten God. Instead of being a shining beacon of light to the nations, the nations have come in and destroyed Israel. And so we get to this second half of Isaiah 42, and we hear something shocking about God's servant. Have a look at Isaiah 42, verse 18. Isaiah 42, verse 18. Listen, you deaf. Look, you blind, so that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf like my messenger I'm sending? Who is blind like my dedicated one? Or blind like the servant of the Lord? Though seeing many things, you pay no attention. Though his ears are open, he does not listen. This servant who's meant to open blind eyes and lead people out of darkness is himself blind and in darkness. The repetition is so strong in those verses, yeah? Who is blind? Who is blind? Who is blind? Israel, with such a high calling from God, this one nation who's to bring God's blessing to the rest of the world, Israel is the failed servant. Instead of being God's servant, Israel needs to be served themselves. They need their blind eyes to be open so that they might know God. So the question Isaiah brings us is, who will serve the servant? Then we get to Isaiah 49 and we meet the faithful servant. Come over to chapter 49 that Sarah read for us earlier. This is the third point in your outline, the faithful servant. Pick it up at verse 1. Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shallow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, so far, this is a similar description for the servant that we had in chapter 42. He's coming with news of salvation for the coasts and islands, calling them all to listen to him, the, the distant peoples of the earth. And by this servant's ministry, the Lord, Yahweh, will be glorified. He'll be known across the world with the global reputation that he deserves as the only God. In verse 3, this servant still sounds like Israel, right? You are my servant, Israel. But come down to verse 5. See if you notice why this can't be the nation Israel. Isaiah 49, verse 5. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. Do you see it there? This servant is serving Israel, so he can't be Israel. At least not ethnic national Israel. There's a bit of a puzzle in here for us, right? In verse 3, this servant was called Israel, but now in verse 5, 
the servant is serving Israel? How can Israel serve and save Israel? What's going on here? The answer is that one person, an Israelite by birth, will fulfill the task that God had for the whole nation. We're looking at what we might call the true Israel, the faithful Israel, the one who is just and gentle, the one who will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is who Jesus is. I told you we'd get there, but not in a flat one-to-one kind of way. There's a, a contour here. Jesus is the true expression of what the nation Israel should have been. Jesus is the true expression of what the nation of Israel should have been. Back in Isaiah 6, we heard about this holy seed that was in the stump of Israel. Jesus is that holy seed. In Isaiah 11, we heard about the shoot that would come from the root of Jesse. Jesus is that shoot. From Jesus, a whole new people of God will grow and flourish. So we get to the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel. We could go many places to see this, but Matthew's Gospel presents us with this picture pretty clearly of Jesus as the faithful servant, as true Israel. Matthew shows us step by step how Jesus' life replayed the history of Israel. There's a slide up there that will work through all of these points. You might like to jot these down or just take this into your reading of the New Testament when you get there. But in Matthew 2 verse 15, Jesus is taken to Egypt as a child so that he comes up out of Egypt just as Israel came up in the Exodus. Matthew quotes an Old Testament verse that's talking about Israel as a nation being saved out of Egypt. Matthew applies that to Jesus. Jesus is replaying the life of Israel. Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, just like Israel crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. And in language reminiscent of Isaiah 42, Jesus is declared at his baptism to be the beloved son in whom God delights. Matthew 4, Jesus faces 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, just like Israel faced 40 years of trial wandering through the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. Jesus is the light that dawns in darkness, Matthew 4, verse 16. Jesus is the servant who is the light to the nations. You get to Matthew 5, and from Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus sits down to teach. He takes people to the heart of God's law, just like the servant in Isaiah 42, whose instruction, whose teaching the nations are waiting for. In Matthew 11, Jesus invites people to come and learn from him, to take his yoke upon them because he is gentle and humble. Again, just like the servant in Isaiah 42. You get to Matthew 12 and verse 18 to 21, Matthew leaves us in no doubt. He quotes the fullness of Isaiah 42, verse 1 to 4, applying that to Jesus, explaining Jesus' ministry. Jesus is the servant, the true Israel. And Jesus came, he tells us in Matthew 20, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's more there in Matthew that I could show you. That's all that could fit on one slide. And I hope that's enough to overwhelm you with the connection between Jesus and Israel. Jesus relives the story of Israel, but without the failure. He faces temptation, but remains faithful. Now, to try to help you see what this means, I put together a diagram. Someone else has come up with this diagram. I'm just bad at designing things, so it's not quite symmetrical up there. Uh, But this represents God's people. At the start, all people are God's people. But when we rebel against God, and all people have rebelled against God, 
God acts to save all the nations through one nation, Israel. Yeah, so God talks to Abraham, gives him promises, says, you're going to be the one who will bless the nations. God still has a plan for all people, but he narrows his work down and goes, just one nation, Israel. Then Israel rebel against God, so they can't do much saving, and so things narrow down a bit more. And we see in the prophets, like we've been seeing in Isaiah, that there's a small remnant within Israel who remain faithful. But now what we're seeing is that over time, that remnant is whittled down even more until there is just Jesus, the true Israel, God's person. I labour this point because it will help you read the Bible. It will help you connect the Old Testament with the New Testament. It will help you when you read promises in the Old Testament for Israel because you'll see that Jesus is Israel. The promises find their fulfilment in Him and for Him. And this then helps us understand ourselves. Now, if you've gotten lost in all that, now's the time to come back. Uh, What we've seen is that Jesus is the faithful servant who saves the nations. Jesus, by His death, which we'll see more about next week as we continue looking at the servant in Isaiah 53. But Jesus, by His death, opens up a way for us to be forgiven for our rebellion against God. Jesus, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, He is our light. He opens our eyes to know God. And so the themes of Isaiah 40 to 55 start to come together and coalesce. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw the good news. Do you remember the good news of Isaiah? That God is coming as King. God is going to turn up. He will rule with justice. He'll bring in this time of perfect peace. We saw that Jesus is God's King. Jesus is God in the flesh. What we're seeing today is that God's King is God's servant. and He's none other than God Himself. Jesus is the servant King who brings us out of the darkness of our lives and leads us into hope and truth and joy. This is a king who doesn't dominate and domineer over us, but like the servant of Isaiah 42, gently and humbly serves us. Remember that imagery in Isaiah 42 verse 3? He will not break a bruised reed. He will not snuff out a smoldering wick. Isn't that wonderfully true of Jesus? Those who have been bruised and battered in life, who are barely able to stand, Jesus has compassion on them. Think of the woman, just as one story from the Gospels, the woman who had been suffering bleeding for years. She's perpetually unclean. She's unable to operate in polite Jewish society. She was afraid of Jesus at first. She wasn't sure if he would treat her like everyone else had been treating her. So she snuck up to touch just the hem of his robe with faith that she would be made well. And her fear was misplaced. Jesus didn't turn on her and berate her as others would have done for for touching them in her uncleanness. No, Jesus kindly and gently sent her on her way in peace. Jesus is our gentle king, the gentle servant of God. And for some of you, as you come to church today, you're feeling almost spent. That image of the smoldering wick reminds you of yourself. You're almost burnt out, nothing left. The image of the bruised reed I don't know what's been bruising you, what's been quenching you, but at the moment you're just, you're just hanging on. I know this morning that Jesus won't trample you down. He'll build you up. He comes with comfort and hope. Even if you've been left behind by the world around you, Jesus will not leave you behind. 
lean on him. Approach his throne of grace in prayer with boldness. Bring all your cares to him because he cares for you. I love Jesus. He's so good. I know the times when I've lay on the bed in darkness, crying tears of solitude or tears of sadness. I know the times I've fallen in sin and I'm facing down the barrel of the consequences of that sin, the fallout in relationships, the fallout in my body. It's so good to be able to come to Jesus in prayer in those times, to come to Jesus in tears and to come and receive forgiveness and help. Jesus is gentle. Come to him. Lean on him. Jesus is God's faithful and gentle servant who saves the nations. He brings hope and healing for all people, for all nations, even us here in the far-flung reaches of earth in New Zealand, even down to Stewart Island. Have you come to Jesus to be served by him, to be saved by him? Do you continue to come to Jesus to learn from him, to wake, to walk in the light of his instruction. As we meet Jesus as God's servant, our first response is to come to him and to receive his ministry to us. But the story doesn't stop there either. As we come to Jesus, as we become his people, as we become citizens of his kingdom, God then commissions us to be his servants as well. This is the final point in your outlines, faithful servants. It's not just one faithful servant, but many faithful servants. In Acts chapter 13, verse 47, the Apostle Paul explains his ministry to the people in Antioch. He says this, For this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. Paul there is quoting Isaiah 49 and saying that it's about himself and Barnabas. I don't know if that's what you expect. We come to Isaiah 49, we think, yeah, it's about Jesus. And it is about Jesus. But as we come to Jesus, we get commissioned to be his servants as well. It's not that Paul and Barnabas are bringing about salvation in the same way that Jesus has done. They're not going to die in a way that brings forgiveness for sin. But they are messengers who are announcing the news of God's salvation in Jesus. They're the witnesses who take up the proclamation in Isaiah. They point to Jesus and they say, Behold your God, Jesus is King. See, Jesus, in his earthly life, he announced that message in Judah. He died in Jerusalem and brought about the salvation that can now be offered to the nations. But Jesus himself didn't go to the nations. Instead, he sends messengers, he sends witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus sends us. If you've come to Jesus and received his salvation, if you've submitted to Jesus as your king, then you are now God's servant. Uh, Up on the screen, the, the diagram that we had narrowing down to Jesus, notice the way now that it extends out again. Jesus first calls 12 disciples. Note the number 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel. What's he doing there? He's reconstituting a new people of God around himself. And then from there, the disciples take the message of Jesus to the Jews. And God's people extends out to include Jewish Christians. 
And then from there, the message goes not just to Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the nations. And God's people narrows into Jesus and then extends out again. And as we attach ourselves to Jesus by trusting in Him, as we become members of His kingdom, we become His servant. If you're a Christian, then you are God's servant. The question is whether you'll be like Israel, the failed servant, or like Jesus, the faithful servant. Will you go to the nations as God's witness, announcing that Jesus is King and Saviour? Will we, as God's people, be the light shining in the darkness of Auckland, faithfully following Jesus' instructions, showing our city a better way of life in community? That's what Jesus said to us, yeah? You are the light of the world, Matthew 5, verse 14. God's salvation has come to us here in Auckland. The nations have come to us here in Auckland. That's fantastic. God's news is not meant to stop here. God's news is not meant to stop with you. There are still so many people who have not heard of Jesus. People living in our city of Auckland, will you go to them? People in other parts of New Zealand, will you go and be God's servant to them? Will you tell them about Jesus? Unreached peoples across the globe, in Nigeria, in Morocco, in Yemen, in Uzbekistan, in China, in India. Joshua Project lists 40% of the world's population as living in unreached people groups. 40% of the world that don't have anyone or just a couple of people to tell them about Jesus. Will you go? Where will you go as God's servant? I asked you at the start to ponder what would make you evaluate your life as a success. Well, here in Isaiah this morning, we've seen God's answer to that question for us. We are His servants. And our task is to bring the news of God's salvation to the world. That'll probably mean that we live in such a way that doesn't look very successful to the world around us. It's a different measure of success. It will come at a cost to relationships. It will come at a cost to our work. It will come at a cost to our excitement and experiences. We'll see next week more of how God's servant gets treated by the world. But frankly, who cares what the world thinks of us? Who cares what people do and say to us if we can be welcomed home by the God of the universe saying, well done, good and faithful servant? Aren't those the words you want to hear? Isn't that the person you want to hear it from? So as you make decisions about life, where to live, what to do for work, how to spend time and money, I want to ask you, how much does God's mission factor into those decisions? My challenge for you is, before you think about work, before you think about where to live, think first about the question, where in the world will I take God's message? It may be Auckland. There are many in this city who are yet to hear about Jesus. We're praying to see 2,030 people in church by the year 2030. That's only going to happen as we get out there and talk to people about Jesus. And we we'll probably need to not just talk to our friends and family members because that kind of limits the pool of who we're talking to. We're going to need to talk to strangers. Go to people and take any opportunity that you have to speak of Jesus. It may be that you answer the question and you move to a different part of Auckland to see that happen, to get involved in a church plant. We're praying for four more church plants across the city of Auckland to see more and more people hear about Jesus. 
And perhaps you'll even move to Hamilton or Dunedin or some other part of New Zealand to get involved in mission there. Where in the world will you take God's message? Perhaps you'll even leave the comfort of New Zealand to take the gospel to one of those unreached peoples. I wonder if you've heard the story of C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a young man educated at Cambridge, one of what became known as the Cambridge Seven. In terms of worldly success, he kind of had it in spades. He was educated at Cambridge, he just finished his degree in 1883. Uh, He represented England in the very first Ashes Test match in the cricket. Uh, It was the test match where England kind of lost and it was the death of English cricket. So he's representing his nation in the cricket, he's educated, got a great education, and then as a young man, age 25, he gave all of that up to move to China so that he could proclaim the gospel to the interior of China and see more people hear about Jesus. He had everything that the world wanted, money, success, education, reputation, he gave it up. He's known for a quote that impacted John Piper and made it into Don't Waste Your Life, that great book. C.T. Studd says, there's only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the attitude of God's servant. Where will you take God's message? Where will you be God's messenger? Auckland, New Zealand, the world... As you ponder your future, as you ponder those decisions, let's get out there this week as God's faithful servants. Go into your workplace, go into university, go into your neighbourhood as God's servant. And go with the encouragement of Isaiah 52 verse 7, which Paul picks up in Romans 10 for us as Christians. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. May your feet be beautiful this week, God's faithful servants. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son into the world to be the servant that we need. Thank you that you've opened our blind eyes, that you've shown us the light, that you've helped us to know you. Thank you that you've forgiven our sins, that you've forgiven our rebellion, opened us up a way for us to be citizens of your kingdom. We long for that world full of justice. We long for that world full of peace. And we pray that now, by your Spirit, you would help us to be a community that embodies those characteristics, that as your servants, we would be a community of justice, a community of peace, a community of gentleness. Help us to live out that life that we would be a shining beacon of light within the world. But help us to not just wait for people to come to us. Help us to go, to go as your messengers, to go as your servants, to go to the world and announce the good news of Jesus. Lord, make our feet beautiful this week. Make our feet beautiful for the rest of our lives. May we get to the end of our life and look back and think, I've lived well because we've given ourselves to the task of being your servant. Would we make it into heaven and and hear those wonderful words from your lips? Well done, good and faithful servant. Empower us by your spirit for that task, we pray. Amen.